Here is my theory about why Solo, a Star Wars story, performs so poorly. You ready? Sure. Okay. You know what Occam's Razor is? So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The Force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred we'll take the next chance and the next time you're rebels on you Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Oh, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah, the Bizzle. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the return visit of Tim Jirasi, who is a podcaster from literally my favorite Star Wars podcast. He's been on before. He's great. We've had Paul Herman on, who's now a part of that. Uh, in the meantime, and now Tim is back. Um, Tim, welcome back. And I have to tell you, with the idiot haters on one end and like the Raylo shippers on the other, it's really nice to have you guys out there. <laughs> I- <laughs> uh, well, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Again, great to be back. And thanks for having me on again and for that nice compliment, too. So. <laughs> no, you, you, you guys are great. We were talking off mic about what it was like to throw Paul into the mix. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we, Paul was on, uh, you know, the Bizzle cast a few weeks ago, Paul P. Thug Herman, which was as epic and fun as I hoped for. And uh, he's part of your podcast now. And, guys, yep. here's the thing me and Tim, we've done a bunch of solo podcasts already. So that we did. <laughs> if you want a full analysis and feedback and a run through the entire plot and all that stuff, I do that on a num- numerous previous podcasts and the most recent, the Saga Continues podcast, which clocks in at a very reasonable three hours. <laughs> three and a half, to be precise. Three and a half. <laughs> but I'll post that on the page. Thanks. Always appreciate when you retweet, share the post we did. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I actually want to talk with you about deep issues. Uh, not that we didn't last time, but we had so much content to cover last time. Um, so here's what's going to happen, people. We're going to give our very basic thoughts about Solo, which is, I think we both love it. Um, and then I'm going to ask you a bunch of one-hit questions, which you can answer or pass on, about the movie, what you liked, if there was things you didn't like, if there's things you're unsure about, and so forth. And then we are going to go directly into the main discussion, because we don't have a ton of time tonight. Um, of why it's like the most positive social media reaction ever for a Star Wars movie <laughs> in a movie that is bombing worse than Tomb Raider in the box office right now. Oh, please tell me that's not accurate. You're just exaggerating there. <laughs> well, it's 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 made like t- ten or twenty more million than to- the new Tomb Raider movie. Um, but when you consider cost, this costs like five times what Tomb Raider did. It's like five hundred yeah, million to a hundred million. So we're going to get into some numbers, we're going to get into some social trends, but mostly Tim, and I do want to start with a couple solo questions. If you are cool with it, I do want to talk about where the fan base is right now. Yeah, definitely. Go for it. All right. So here we go, guys. So Tim, what I've learned is the easiest way to shut myself up in these sections is to give my brief thing first, and then just we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. So here's my thing about Solo. I love it. 
what I love about it, 85% is how much great fan service it has. And what I dislike about it, 15% is how much questionable fan service it has. It really mm-hmm. boils down to that. But I thought it was an amazing ride. I do agree there's something wrong with the physical prints of the movie. And that's really sad with the state of American th- movies. That's another discussion. I loved it. I just saw it a third time. I love it even more. Um, and I think Aaron Reich will get appreciated more and more over time with all the great characters. So those, those are my basic thoughts. So your opening uh, statement on Solo, and then I got some quick hit questions for you. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I loved it too. I mean, immediate reaction when I saw it the first time was, yeah, I met all of the expectations I was hoping it was, like mm-hmm. getting to see all those big moments of Han meeting Chewie, Han and Lando meeting, Han mm-hmm. Uh, or Han winning the Falcon from Lando, seeing the Kessel run. It met all those expectations I had there. But then, I mean, once we got all the the big surprises with, uh, I guess I'll say spoilers, (laughs) just in case there are those unseated yet, with Darth Maul, that kind of shot it over the top for me, just giving this great appearance by a character I wasn't expecting and raising some questions and the exciting possibilities of of what future stories they can tell. That Mm -hmm. just really blew me away. And I thought exceeded my expectations once we got that and tons of great new characters too i liked all the new characters we were introduced with so yeah i loved it pretty much i got a few nitpicks about it and a lot of it is just stuff i wish we got more of (laughs) and maybe that's really the you know the fanboy in me just really wanting certain stuff to be a little longer because what we got on screen was so great and i wanted to see more of that but other than stuff like that i really don't have too many issues with it like you said all the narrative did a great job as playing a young Han Solo and it wasn't just a Harrison, Harrison Ford impression that he was doing but he made it his own but yet it still felt like we were seeing a younger version of Han Solo so I agree he knocked it out of the park you saw it three times mm-hmm. right now I'm unfortunately only at two viewings which yep. is a Star Wars low for me as far as seeing new movies it's going to yeah. look better in 4K. I'm telling you, it's going to look, it will, it will, they will going to, they're going to do a, some scrub job on the prints and 4K will look amazing. Oh, I can't wait to get it. Yeah. 4K, you're yeah. right. It's going to look amazing. It's going to look amazing. I, I do plan on seeing it at least one more time because, yeah, I'm not satisfied with just two viewings. I got to see it a third time. I've been itching to see it again. So hopefully I'll be able to get that done soon. Absolutely. And so, all right, man, here come the quick hit questions. I will only add uh, to, to it, uh, just because th- these points I don't think will come up, is that when you compare it to the other Star Wars story, Rogue One, spoiler alert, guys, I'm going to make Tim rank everything at the end of the podcast before I let Uh-oh. him go. And I will give mine as well, so that it's a fair fight. Um, but I will say it shared two main things with Rogue One. A, it's almost a single A storyline within an with the main character and the people around the main character for the entire movie. It's not cutting around mm-hmm. all the time. Literally in Han, we talked, I, dude, I analyzed this. It's always Han. There's no scene in it where Han is not in. It's unprecedented. Like even Rogue One had the Krennic scenes and I fucking love Krennic and Vader. So I was so thrilled about that. And Rogue One, so epic. You needed that small B storyline, but they both ma- ma- mainly had single A storylines. Was, wasn't Canto by and, and Kray and Buh mm. and Rhett, you know what I mean? Which is fine for other movies, but it's a nice change of pace and the Star Wars stories have been doing that. The other thing is I think both movies clearly over the five, six or seven acts that they have get better and better and better. And it builds towards an unbelievable climax and then you get a climax after the climax in one case it's vader and, and leia and in the, in the other case it's the you know um 
uh, Emphis Nest in, in, the, in the spark of the rebellion, you know, stuff, which made me cry, man. Honestly, I'm a rebel guy. I fucking that was cried. That a great moment. It really was. I, uh, I cried like numerous times, like the original reveal. And then when she was inviting Han to the rebellion, I'm like, come on, Han, come on. Like, <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> not yet, not, not yet, yet. <laughs> not yet. Okay. Enough about me. Bizzle, shut up. We're going to Tim. All right here. I'm going to keep all of these as they're, they're all positive questions that I may ask you for a, a critique, which are optional, but I'm going to start with a couple positives. Uh, first okay. question. You ready? Go for it. And this, you can just even give one or two sentences, on whatever you feel like. Okay, first one is, what is a moment, big or small, that you think isn't being appreciated enough uh, in talking to other people and reading stuff, like, that you loved, that, that you think maybe over time people will appreciate more, or maybe not, but that you think is a sort of underrated, special, cool moment in the movie? Yeah, for me, I mean, I have to go with something that was pretty much at the very end of the movie. And it is when Han sees Kira flying off on Dryden Boss's yacht, mm. leaving him. And then we see Chewie put his hands on Han's shoulder. Yeah. And we got that moment in the first trailer, or maybe it was even that TV spot for the Super Bowl. I think it was that one, actually. But right when I saw it, I go, oh, man, that's going to be a really cool moment. Because I know it's just going to be more, it's going to mean more when we see the actual movie. And it did, because why I love it so much, and it probably is my favorite scene or moment in the movie mm. because Han at that moment Han just lost the two people he was probably closest to at that point you know Beckett his mentor and trying to live the life that he wanted as an outlaw and smuggler Han had to shoot him in order to survive and then he sees you know at that point anyway who he thought was the love of his life and mm. the person he wanted to spend the rest of his life traveling the galaxy with just fly <sighs> off and leave without him Ugh. after they just had that conversation about you know they were going to do this and just go get Chewie and come back and we'll fly off. No, he had the conversation. She was trying to get him out of there as quick as possible. Yeah, definitely. Dude, I know you're a Game of Thrones guy. Paul, somehow Paul knew I wasn't a Game of Thrones guy, which is hilarious. I've like become famous for being not a Game of Thrones guy, even yeah. though I've seen over half of the episodes, including the first full three seasons mm. and a bunch of the other ones. And I love the entire cast, as I'm constantly talking about. And I love, I've loved Amelia Clark and everything she's been in. Stupid romantic movies, Terminator stupid movies. She's great in everything <laughs> she's in. I, you've only had two viewings. She gets better with me for each viewing. Um, but I thought Amelia Clark, just, just to, to extend this point quickly, brought such grace and subtlety to this movie. And worked both as Han's old girlfriend and as the complicated woman who couldn't bring herself to tell him the truth. Mm. No, I totally agree. Yeah, she did a really great job with mm -hmm. her performance. So, yeah, I mean, at the same time, too, there's still like some of the debate as far as what her intention was to leave him. Like, is she doing it because she really doesn't care about Han and she wants to, you know, move her way up in Crimson Dawn? You know, now she really is in second command after Maul. Or at least what I got out of it seeing it the two times was that um, she's, you know, kind of doing it both ways where, yeah, she wants to move up. But at the same time, she wants to protect Han from getting involved further with Crimson Dawn and to protect him from Maul. So that's kind of how I took it. But I know there's been some debate as far as what her like real intentions were at the ending there. But regardless, it was a great performance. And then just going back to my favorite part of Chewie putting mm. his hand on Han's mm. shoulder, it's just... What that signi if I can say it, signifies to me is that, you know, everyone, like Hans, the two closest people Han's life left, but everyone except Chewie. 
Chewie is there. The, this person he just met not too long ago. They're already they're establishing that bond throughout the course of the movie, and I felt it culminates in that moment where Chewie puts his hand on his shoulder mm-hmm. and he just signifies without saying any words that yep they're going to be together you know forever. What we saw in the original trilogy in the Force Awakens, it all you know that was kind of the foundation was laid, and that's where it's going to jump off in that moment with a close friendship of Han and Chewie that you know was one of the best in Star Wars. So that's why that moment probably stood out for me the most. And I haven't seen too much talk about that on social media. I've seen a few discussions of how people think it's great too sometimes when i brought it up but probably since i love it so much it's probably not talked about as much as i would like just because i think it's so great and this this people thought it was donald glover uh you know who, who would ra- raise the movie to a, a new level of of audience but the the sad thing again i don't want to jump the gun here because i have a bunch of movie questions to you i don't want to jump the gun to box office but the fact is they nailed the most important thing, which was the bond of Han and Chewie from beginning to end. I thought yes. mm-hmm. that initial meeting was the best possible way. And the fact that Alden Ehrenreich even agreed to speak Wookiee, <laughs> knowing that, but I thought it was funny without being laughable. It was like, you know, totally. like it was yeah. so on point. And now he's the only one ever, by the way, who's actually done this. Sorry, Harrison Ford. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think ultimately that is why Harrison Ford embraced him. Had not, but, Like Harrison Ford doesn't give a shit about box office numbers or if critics like it. He go Harrison Ford saw the cut. Kathleen Kennedy, I think. Harrison Ford goes, I really like this kid. I'm going to go, you know, whatever. Um, and all of these factors. So, okay, guys, sorry to tease the end. So, yeah, but I, Aaron Reich... Uh, well, we should just talk about it briefly. I mean, I thought Aaron Reich and Chewie had such good chemistry. I wasn't thinking about it openly. That's how good it was. Mm. Yeah, I never. When I at no point during watching the movie, I get taken out where you know being so used to Harrison Ford's performance as Han and their bond he had with Chewie that you know the chemistry they had that just jumped off the screen that you believed in. I felt the same way with Aaron Reich and Chewie, and you know the actor who's playing Chewie now, Junis, who. His last name, I always butcher. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he does a great job playing Chewie yes. now as well. I mean, it just feels like you're seeing the same two characters, even though they're being portrayed by different actors. And I know. To me, that was the biggest question mark going into the movie, even when it was first announced. Not to mention the cartoons, by the way. You're also sort of triangulating it with the cartoon, you know, p- portrayals of, of Wookiees at this point. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so I agree with you. They really captured, you mm. know, the relationship and the chemistry that we just love about on and chewy okay all right all right so let's keep this train rolling so next question is what's like a big picture thing that you just think was great about the movie i don't mean like saying the director or the filming but like a you know an entire act um or an entire arc or a particular casting decision you know um more than a specific moment, I guess what I'm saying, like sort of a big picture thing about the movie. And this doesn't have to be one that other people don't appreciate. This is just one that you appreciate in in the big picture. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we kind of touched on the Han and Chewie stuff because I think that was one of the great big picture stuff because it just enhances almost every movie of the original trilogy and force awakens. Every moment with Han and Chewie just enhanced with this movie now. But I guess talking about sequences and stuff, I got to give it to the Kessel run and just that whole mm-hmm. sequence on Kessel. I probably my favorite sequence of the movie is when they reach castle and then the Kessel and then they make the Kessel run. I mean, 
we've heard about the Kessel Run for so long, and then to see it actually play out on screen was great, like I said at the beginning. But I just like another thing that enhances the other movies when they mention the Kessel Run, because you see why it's so it's a, why it's such a big deal to Han to mention it, and then you know to make sure. Uh, Ray gets the parsecs right <laughs> when she says it on the Force Awakens, even though she's probably Round might be more accurate than yeah. he is saying it's twelve. <laughs> but it was just a great sequence. Round down, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this action-wise, and then you got some cool thematic elements in there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, another Han and Chewie moment probably sound like a broken record, but <laughs> no, keep it coming. I love. They, I thought they had great love. The two actors totally bonded. You just could tell. Mm-hmm. Just like Lando and Han, and, and this will be a recurring theme, guys, we need this, this movie to succeed at some level at some point to get more Han and Lando and Han and Chewie because these guys are great. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yep. Yeah. I mean, that moment where Chewie gets into the co-pilot seat for the first oh, time. Oh, I cheered so that, loud. I, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like goosebumps moments there, man. They just give each other this look, and you're like, yes, we're seeing yep. the first moment. Of Han and Chewie flying the Falcon. So, but and this is Tim. Well, okay. So let me ask you this question directly about certain parts where they like had to explain his last name and so forth. Contrast greatly with what you just mentioned. So you know, to do nostalgia correctly, you want it to sort of fall into it naturally, maybe not even say anything, as opposed to sort of expositional, mm-hmm. um, you know, retelling of something we're being told for the first time. Like, oh, you have no last name, you're solo. Oh, you need a nickname, Chewbacca. Going to call you Chewie. But with like the Lando's capes to the Chewie sitting in the po- co-pilot seat, do you agree that that was more effective? And I would say more in the Rogue One way that Rogue One did it, uh, which is showing and not telling. I guess. No, yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, that's probably one of my few nitpicks as well. I'm still not sold on how yeah. you know Han got his last name yeah. <laughs> just with the Imperial officer saying, "Oh, you're alone, solo." Why did they do that? Why do you think they felt it necessary? How did they get through Ron Howard, the producers, Kathleen Kennedy, and everyone else? I don't understand. You see, on our episode when we were talking about the movie, yeah. Paul brought it up mm-hmm. where. I, some I didn't really think about, but I like where he was going, how just that theme of these heroes coming from, you know, without a family, comparing like Han and Ray, and not, you know, really having an identity to, you know, identify themselves with as far as like a last name and where they came, come from. And so if they're kind of symbolizing that with Han and then also Ray with years later, I think it works where that's why Han kind of sees a kindred spirit in Ray as well. That's true. And he officer officer the job on the falcon once they get to talk with donna so when you think about it that way i'm hoping that's the reason why they decided to do that and not just for you know let's just have a reason here to give him why his name was solo so because it, it sounds more cooler and more thematic when you think about it that way so i'm not sure if that's what they're thinking but that's how i'm going to take it now <laughs> to have that scene play a little better when i see it absolutely absolutely so okay well that takes care of the criti- one of the criticism questions so that was g- <laughs> that's good um yeah i mean in, in one of my podcasts i re- i refer to kessel as the scarif of the movie the in- extended kessel scene it was mm. you know it was the big build-up and let's be honest in both cases for the most part the big build-ups were spectacular and that's why I don't get it because in Rogue One there are a lot of people who weren't crazy about the you know supposed slow buildup of the movie but was really into it by the end. Solo was really mostly action packed from beginning to end, um, but I don't think the movie picked up until the first card game with Lando. 
for me. As great as the sort of the opening bit is in Krelia, and as great as the stuff with Wood, with Val and Beckett and so forth, you know, there's great potential there. But it was almost a tale of two movies. Like this, this movie should have been two movies, I think, um, because they could have made the movie an hour and fifty one minute movie of the Kessel Run with Lando, and I think more people would have seen it. They would have spent less money, and it would have been easier to execute. But they wanted to go full origin story. Any thoughts on this this whole thing? Yeah, I actually thought it played out really, really well. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, because I've heard that criticism from early reviews and reactions about it, that it kind of takes a while to get going, and I was kind of preparing myself for that. No, that's not my criticism. My, uh, this is the... Well, not yours, but other people I've seen, so... No, no, but I've seen it, too, and I just want to, you know, like, address really quickly, like, we, you know, we talked in our last podcast about... Oh, no, I don't know if it was us. God damn, I do so many... As do you, so many <laughs> fucking podcasts. Um, but, you know... The fact is in The Last Jedi, whatever you think about the Poe-Leia storyline and the Rose-Finn storyline, we all want to get back to the big three in that movie to various levels, and there's nothing you can do. You could have made the other storylines even way better than they were, and we still would have wanted to get back to Rey, Luke, and Kylo, right? That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. And and I think that's that's the comparison, is there's really nothing I would cut from the movie um, from an objective standpoint or even a subjective standpoint, but inevitably when I'm recently seeing it and i just saw it for my third time i wanted to get to the i wanted lando and l3 and everyone on the ship you know rogue one kind of builds the crew as the movie goes along which i like here there's a very definitive moment and my biggest criticism of the movie was that woody felt so important in the first half and then so worthless other than betraying them in the second half was was one thing that didn't make sense to me do you think that beckett's character worked over the entire course of the movie yeah, I thought I thought so. I mean, the only I guess thing I can kind of criticize about it is that it wasn't a huge shock when it re- was revealed that he betrayed them to Dryden. I kind of saw that coming because there wasn't really too many other people left <laughs> that could do that. Yeah, so it wasn't something that was a huge surprise. But I thought it fit well for his character. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's talking about we got him to do what he has to do to survive, and that was his best shot at doing that. So I thought it fit well. Mm-hmm. And um, just going back though, real quick to the beginning of the movie. I mean, I was on board pretty much from the get go when they're on Corellia and yeah. I didn't have that moment of feeling, okay, let's get to, you know, the, the chewy stuff, the Lando stuff. I thought it had a nice flow where by the time we got there, yeah. it felt right and natural that, okay, cool. We're at the yeah. chewy moment here. Now we're going to get a cool action sequence mm-hmm. uh, with the train heist, which I really loved. We got great. the introduction to Emphis Ness and then, oh. Uh, we get the Dryden sequence and then we're out to Lando. So to me, it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling with a lot of great sequence and doesn't let up, which is a big reason why I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, this has, like I said, this has almost the exact same, uh, you know, climax building structure that Rogue One does um, from a just general philosophical point. And so I love it for that. You know, I want the movie to keep getting better and better. What I also like about it too, I know this is a, you know, a point that could be up for debate because I've heard too, um, reasons about you know this working and not working for some people but in comparison to rogue one how you were just saying where it was like they were building the crew up together till you know they all come together at the end to go to scarif which was great but at the same time i didn't want that same type of thing no. for solo no no i no, thought no, it no. should be different yeah so i was okay with you know being with one crew at the beginning yes we had rio val beckett on and chewy and then agreed unfortunately there were great characters rio and val and yeah it is a shame it, it is a shame to see him go so quickly. But at the yeah. same time, I think it works well for the story where yeah. we're Han gets with another crew. When you get Lando, Kira, and L3 with, mm-hmm. 
in the Kessel run. So I thought it worked well going that route, but I can understand some of the disappointment of not getting more of some of those other characters like Val uh, more in the movie. So I understand it, but overall it works for me in the end. I mean, I am well known for my vulnerability to badass Star Wars female characters, but I think Amelia Clark was probably more indispensable, um, assuming no one else could play that variation, even more than Lando. I mean, Donald Glover was amazing as Lando, but yep. Amelia Clark was the, you know, raised on être, as they say, the reason <laughs> for being of Han Solo. And what I loved is she sets up immediately at, when they meet at Voss's that she's hiding things, but she's constantly smiling at Han being a hero. She's so proud of him, right? Mm-hmm. And what I think, man, and let's get the discussion going here real quick, is this sets up the Leia romance so well because we realize he says to Leia in Empire, I just did the commentary, he says, you know, you need a scoundrel in your life. Like, that's why you love me is I'm a scoundrel, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But really, she loves him because he's a good guy who's acting like a, sco- a good-looking scoundrel, right? But he uh-huh. is a good guy deep down. Um and it gets him killed in The Force Awakens, you know? I mean, we see the progression. So what did you think about making this the Han of sort of End of Empire and Return of the Jedi versus the beginning of New Hope? As far as, like, comparing the two or how... In terms of his character of, as 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 Amelia Clark, as uh, Kira says, she says, you're the good guy. And she knows mm-hmm. immediately, dude... Not only does he agree to help Emphis Nest against everything he's gone through, mm-hmm. we don't even see the scene where he's thinking about it. He does it immediately, and Kira comments yeah. that he's going to help the rebels immediately. And this makes sense to me because he's a rebel and he sympathizes with the rebel. And I think this shows his new hope persona as kind of a front that he was putting up to protect himself rather than, Oh, Han changed so much in Mm. the original trilogy. This to me now makes it feel like Han just became himself again with the right people around him, as opposed to he totally changed. Because to be honest with you, man, I don't really think people totally changed to that degree. This to me is more realistic. Uh, it's more realistic a good person gets off the track and gets back onto the good track than someone who's just a scoundrel their whole life suddenly becomes good. Um, that was a lot, but I think you know where I'm going. I'd love to have your feedback on that whole thing. Yeah, I totally agree with that when you put it that way because you're right. It just makes more sense, and I like the point you just mentioned there about it. Pretty much all comes down to the people he surrounds himself with, yep. and you know we saw the glimpses of the goodness in him in this movie brought out by Kira wanting to do the right thing. And then when she's gone and he becomes more engrossed in the smugglers outlaw life, I mean, he's not going to be hanging around probably with the most, you know, reputable people out there setting good examples and rubbing off on them, whatnot. But to me, that just one of those things that makes the original trilogy even better when you watch it now, because it takes Luke and Leia and, you know, with Obi-Wan in there meeting at the beginning to bring that back out, in him again, and you're right, it was always there, but I think since between the time between uh, Solo and A New Hope, it probably just got pushed down a lot further, like I said, not being with the right people, but when he does, it brings it out again, and it feels more natural. And again, going back to the whole thematic feeling of what makes these movies so great to me, and having stuff play out, and why I love getting prequels to characters that we already know about, because it just enriches what we've got before and enhances them in certain moments, and that's another one right there 
when we're talking about it and how that smuggler and on was, yeah, it's always going to be a part of him. But at the same time, we know the good guy that he is and was always there from the beginning. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that's a, you know, probably a point in the movie, too, that doesn't get talked about as well too much. Mm -hmm. Just that, you know, how Han Solo was as a character and how this movie shapes him in the original trilogy and just how it feels so natural when you watch this and then see him again in A New Hope. And then, like you said, over the course of Empire and Jedi, we see that the goodness in him come back, the hero side of him come back out. So, yeah, that moment when Envis Ness, you know, asks them about joining their cause and that, mm. like, cool shake of the head, like, nope, not going to happen. It's so perfect how Alden de- delivered that because that felt so Han. But at the same time, what makes it really cool is that, you know, eventually he is going to join the cause and fight with the rebellion because yep. of Luke and Leia. And this, again, makes it so, so cool. And sorry, just to hone in on that, man, because all the emphasis stuff is amazing. That mm-hmm. that young woman has a great career ahead of her. Um, she's incredibly charismatic. Her physicality is great. Um, you immediately like her. Um, and it was a great reveal um, at the end. Uh, but what is great rating? Cause she says, you know, he says, you know, I don't think so, you know, in terms of joining the rebellion and she says, maybe someday and you go, Oh, that's just a nod to the fact that he'll join the rebellion. But if, even if he never joined the rebellion, that's something someone like her would say to someone like him. So yeah. that's great mm-hmm. rating, you know, as opposed to forcing the, oh, giving you a fake last name solo is why your last name solo. There's a difference in that writing. Um, and I'm not sure what to attribute that to because I just rewatched and did commentary for Empire Strikes Back, and there's some weird, awkward moments in that movie. But from a script standpoint, it's pretty flawless. Um, so you know, it does make you wonder in terms of the crazy production of this movie, which I actually don't want to go into at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, man. So one or two more quick hit questions, then we'll get to the we'll get to the big the big idea here. Um, sure. So you've only seen it twice, so that kind of neutralizes a couple of my questions. <laughs> oh, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> all right, who's a who's a who's a character that you ended up really feeling something for that you weren't expecting to? Wasn't expecting to. You know what? I'll go ahead and give that to L three mm-hmm. because um, I liked what I was hearing about the character before I saw the movie and all the reports about you know it's going to be a female droid and how it's a droid that you know doesn't have an owner or a master like all the other droids we've seen before. She's her own, you know, free will droid and how she just works with Lando. It's not like she's uh, is a part like property of Lando. So I like that aspect mm-hmm. of the character. And then you throw in her uh, uh, droid rights, uh, you know, being a droid rights activist, which is, you know, a pretty cool, unique thing to see in a Star Wars Great. movie because we've heard some comic stories of like Great. droid rebellions and all that stuff. So to see it on screen, I thought was cool. Well, especially because we get all this, these dystopian rebellions from the matrix to Terminator, right? And this <laughs> yeah. is like a, a robot revolution that you're like getting behind. Go ahead. Mm. But, um, what I really liked was, you know, what they did with the character at the end. I know this is another thing that's been up for debate as far as her, you know, her mainframe becoming as part of the Falcon. Oh, it's but awesome. I wasn't expecting that. And, when it happened, I thought, you know what, that is really, really cool and almost a genius move because it serves two purposes for me. One, it keeps the character alive just because, you know, in a way, alive in court throughout the course of the other movies we see. Because I just like the idea of whenever we see the Falcon, 
we see L3 now. Like she's always there. This is part of the Falcon, which I think is a, a cool way for the character to yeah. continue on over the uh-huh. course of the next movies we see. And then also too, going back to some of the things that enhances moments in the original trilogy, it's a small thing, but it just makes you nod your head. Goes, okay, that makes total sense, and that's pretty cool. When C3PO is trying to to communicate uh, with the central computer of the Falcon, and he's saying, you know, I don't know where you're. A computer learned to communicate, but it has most particular dialect. And <laughs> we know why it's L three, and it makes perfect sense why C three PO would say that because of yep. what we've seen of L 3s personality in Solo. So yep. she was a character who, you know, I was didn't have like real high expectations going into it. I couldn't wait to see, kind of like I was for Enfys Nez, but mm. ended up uh, delivering uh, a cool character with a an arc I thought worked really well from a story standpoint and just a good way for the character to continue and live on throughout the course of, you know, the saga, as long as the Falcon's Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. and we don't hear anything about the Mm -hmm. Falcon central computer being removed. I mean, L3 is, we're going to see her again in episode nine. So (laughs) that's just a cool thing to think about when you look at it that way. I mean, dude, I was rewatching Empire, and you know how in Empire, a 3PO gets blasted, and then Chewie tries to fix him, he ends up backwards, Uh and then he ends up carrying uh, uh, 3PO, but... Even though three PO is destroyed partially and dis- dispowered, uh, uh, depowered, he's still alive throughout the entire time, right? Yeah. And they're talking. I mean, so basically, Lucas is talking about robot consciousness in 1980. I mean, Blade Runner wasn't until like 1982. The Ghost in the Shell wasn't until like 1986. You know, like he's and what you were describing is the same thing. It's like, L- is L three still alive? Like alive, alive? Like maybe. Like, mm-hmm. maybe she is the ship. This isn't the first... You know, we see this in other science fiction. That's what I love about all these new movies. Honestly, guys, I'm sorry. Whatever you think, these directors and writers are bringing so many cool science fiction uh, stuff, fantasy stuff, in- into the movies. Um, so, okay. Sp- on that topic, final question. And then we're going straight into the split between the money and the reception discussion. Because I haven't actually talked about that on the podcast extensively. And you're exactly the guy I want to talk to about it. But really quickly, ultimately, was putting Ron Howard in charge of this thing the, the right idea? Oh, I think without question it yes. was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much as I loved it, I think it's, we owe a big part of that to Ron Howard. Yeah. I mean, we know they reshot a lot. But just the idea of him coming in, because, you know, that couldn't be a great moment on set knowing that the directors <laughs> were, you know, fired pretty much almost through the when you were almost done shooting. Mm-hmm. So but Ron Howard, I think, was the perfect guy just personality wise to have a good calming presence on the set to get what needed to be done, uh, completed in an efficient manner. And then, you know, just I've said it when he was first hired, just the idea of him being involved with the Star Wars movie sounded really cool and i hope he gets the chance to you know make another one just from the get-go without coming in later on in uh, filming but because Mm -hmm. he i think he gets this because he's been with lucas from such an early age and lucas has consulted him on certain stuff especially during uh, the production of phantom menace and just knowing that there he has he has been immersive in the star wars creative process i think served him well in this regard too and he just there's a lot of things that work really well in the movie that I think yeah. you can attribute to Ron Howard. So yeah, definitely the smart move. And like I said, I hope this isn't the last Star Wars movie he directs because I would love to see what he can do when he's there from the very beginning. But I do think it's interesting 
that the three Star Wars movies that were directed by people who are little kids, when the originals came out, J.J. Abrams, Gareth Edwards, and Ryan Johnson's movies did so much better than the guy that was sort of there at the beginning as directing <laughs> movies for his entire life. I'm not saying there's a correlation, but, you know, I, there was almost too much familiarity, right? That, that's, that's, I mean, if that's your biggest problem, it's barely a problem. So, yeah, see, I wouldn't even say there was much familiarity yeah. in it, to me anyway, but. No, no, no. I meant in terms of Ron Howard's familiarity personally with George Lucas. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. Gotcha. <laughs> and the okay. fact that I know Ron Howard has personally watched these Star Wars movies a bazillion times, as have mm-hmm. these other guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, even Steven Spielberg said he saw Force Awakens four times in the theater. So. Oh, did he? I don't think I've heard that wrong. Yeah. That's um, cool. So, um, we'll, we will get back to the list, guys. So, here we go on the main topic. Which is, Tim, you have an online presence, you have a great podcast, you have definitely more listeners than I do, um, and you got a great format, um, and, uh, you know, but you're on, you're on the Twitter sphere, you know, you're on the social media with the kids. <laughs> Even though I'm not a kid. <laughs> well, and he, I'm just going to get straight to it. This is the question I've been waiting to ask you for like two weeks, which is... The connection between high social media response of positivity and low box office makes total sense to me, and I feel like I can explain immediately, but I want to get your interpretation first as to the seeming correlation between very high positivity and relative lack of trolling online and pathetic performance. I mean, Rogue One is wiping the floor with Solo. In the other movies, it's not even close. So... Basic, we'll talk about this in smaller issues, but what is your basic theory as to this disparity? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get really basic, because I think there's a lot of different yeah. reasons I played into it, but you're right. I think for the most part, the those who've seen it have a positive reaction to it, and those I follow on Twitter and interactive or interact with on there kind of feel the same way as I do about being a, loving the movie or at least being a fun time at the theater. Yeah. But see, the problem is, is that not enough people are seeing it and that's you know the biggest disparity as far as if they actually do see it i think you would see more of that you know positive reaction i'm sure you got the negative ones out there too which is fine not everyone's gonna love it of course but i mean i just think there was a lot of different factors that came into it where i really do believe them releasing it so soon after the last jedi was probably going to play a fact or not was, but it did play a factor into yep. its low box office because, I mean, it'd, it'd be interesting to see if Last Jedi was kind of universally praised like The Force Awakens was, if it would have had the same, you know, trouble getting that box office. Well, it was by the press. Last Jedi was praised equally as Force Awakens by the press. No, but just to yeah. mean amongst fans on social media because oh, yeah. Force Awakens was not split like The Last Jedi was. But, yeah, I think that played a role into it having it be so close after the last Jedi. And also yeah. too, I really think the marketing played a role in it because we didn't get our first trailer or look at solo until like about a month before the movie was out, which, you know, has never been the case for a star Wars movie. So I really think they should have, to be fair, to be fair, an equal uh, criticism was leveled pre rogue one and it, it didn't stop it from making almost $600 million domestically. No, but that had a trailer 
that had a trailer several months before <laughs> it came out because the first one was in april well it also has the greatest i mean the final rogue one trailer from which i take the part of the intro to the Bizzlecast at the moment because it's so brilliant with the music and delivery is maybe the best star wars trailer ever and one of the best film trailers ever we never got a this is one of the best trailers ever for solo unfortunately and to me that made no difference on me seeing it multiple times but maybe for everyone else it did yeah because i just think a lot of people probably missed it as far as not knowing it was even out or just flew under the radar for them yeah. because they just figured okay we last jedi came out in december we gotta you know wait till next december for the new star wars movie because it's you know that's becoming the norm now mm-hmm. and the fact that you didn't get our first look at it until april just one month before it came out i think a lot of people missed it mm-hmm. and that played a big part in it as far as you know not at least the casual audience and everyday moviegoers not being aware of it and going to see it opening weekend. So I think those are probably some of the bigger factors that I look into as far as, you know, kind of why I didn't have a good box office because I'm not getting or buying into the whole star Wars fatigue and what, and all that stuff and how, you know, this is a sign of showing that Star Wars is going to be... You mean like superhero fatigue, which is also exactly. a stupid <laughs> bullshit thing? Yeah. Mm. Superhero fatigue with Black Panther and Infinity War, two of the most yeah. profitable <laughs> and brilliant movies ever. Go ahead. And at the same time, too, it's like, with the amount of Star Wars movies we knew we were going to be getting now in this new era... They shouldn't have released in May, Tim. I'm sorry. No, the I, obvious is they should have released in December, which I, I've been saying no, forever. I yeah. I agree. Sorry, go ahead. But at the same time, too, not... I think it's unrealistic to think every single one of them is going to be, you know, a billion dollar uh, movie. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. I know, but three hundred is is not five twenty five. Oh, I'm not arguing that it's. Yeah, I know it's it's, it's low. I'm not. It's gonna bad. Try to make it's it like really really bad. Yeah. But I'm just saying, when that happens, everyone shouldn't freak out and think, "Oh, this is it for Star Wars." There's Star Wars fatigue. Yep. You know, is Disney, Disney getting their money's worth? I mean, they already did when the Force Awakens came out. <laughs> Come on. Oh, it's Star Wars fatigue. But by the way, uh, Star Wars Celebration has moved to the second biggest city in the country, booked the largest convention center in the country, yeah. and sold the most convention tickets to any convention ever in the fastest amount of time of all time. So. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> there is no Star Wars. I don't think there's an enthusiasm gap, as they say. No. But at the same time, too, I think, you know, the fact that Episode Nine doesn't come out now for about a year and a half, God. probably the best thing for it at this point, just coming off of the device in this of Last Jedi and then Solo not doing well at the box office. I think Star Wars can use this little time to breathe. Sure, as a diehard fan, I don't want it to be that long. <laughs> I mean, I would love it if it was this December, but just... For the overall, I guess, general, you know, thought about where the Star Wars franchise is at from, you know, a general movie going audience, it's probably going to be best to have it lay low for a little bit. Then you start the hype all up again for episode nine being the last part of this trilogy. And then it's, you're going to see some great numbers for that movie. I, <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be do numbers like yep. similar to probably The Last yep. Jedi. I don't think it's going to do Force Awakens because... Dude. Uh, no Star Wars movie will probably <laughs> Look. unless there's another big gap <laughs> in 10 years but it's going to be things will be back on track yeah. uh, with the episode 9 I believe but yeah. as far as how fans receive it that's another story but <laughs> just from a box office wise I think everything's going to be back to normal once we get episode 9 dude J.J. Abrams is a genius 
Um, there were some writing problems with The Force Awakens that I don't think he was responsible for because I think Kasdan had a final word on everything, which, of course, he should. Um, so I'm fine with that. So, But, you know, for the most part, The Force Awakens, for me, like all my nitpicks are, are so minor with that movie at this point. And the, the first Star Trek reboot is still one of the great sci-fi movies of all time. Now he gets to do like a Return of the Jedi movie, but because of Ryan Johnson, things are super complicated and even darker than usual. But I think if I'm Disney, I'm hiring Joss Whedon to do a, a standalone movie. I know there's some bizarre controversy around Whedon for reasons I still cannot understand. Because he's not really done anything to anybody other than make great product. Uh, product um but jj's in the same category i have huge faith that episode nine is going to bring people back and dude here's i'll throw back to you about celebration really quickly i think the enthusiasm about celebration is about the enthusiasm about episode nine or do you think it has to do more with the 20th anniversary um i think it's probably more so with episode nine coming out i mean i think a lot of fans are going to want to be there for the last star wars or no, it's kind of hard to say if it will be the last Star Wars movie in Skywalker Saga. It'll be interesting if they kind of market it that way. But the last movie in this trilogy anyway, I'm sure for a lot of those who were there for the first one regarding this new trilogy back in Anaheim, they're going to want to wrap it up <laughs> to be there for episode nine too, which I wish I could say I would be, but I'm not going to be able to make it up there. But Oh, you're not going to be a celebration? No, unfortunately Yeah, I didn't not. get tickets. And the thing is, I have family and stuff in Chicago. I just can't mm-hmm. commit for this much money that much far in advance. Oh, yeah, I hear you. I mean, also, too, it's five days now instead of just four. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to be a big one. I would be dead after day three, especially with drinking yeah. with friends at night. I would be dead. Yeah, but I think there will be some who, probably those who've been to every celebration, have it be in 20 years since the first one is going to play a, a role in it too, as far as why it's you know selling so quickly and so selling out. But I think the big draw is of course going to be episode nine, but at the same time too, it could be our first look at a bunch of other of the upcoming star Wars project, like Brian Johnson's trilogy and the series coming from Benny off and Weiss, maybe not mm-hmm. footage or anything, but at least finding out more of what they're going to be about. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff playing into it as far as why, it's you know right. selling the, the way it is right now and the hype surrounding it so speaking of which two of the women most important in episode nine are kelly marie tran and kathleen kennedy both who are under attack again even more viciously as is constantly happening yeah. everything's kathleen <laughs> kennedy's fault and you know the fact that the finn rose storyline was the weakest is somehow this poor young actress's fault um is I have to say, man, I, I it makes me ashamed to be a Star Wars fan at times. Be, like I don't want to no, be associated right. with these people. Like no entertainment property is worth it for me. Like I'm a liberal in terms of politics. There's a lot of asshole liberals I hate, but I'm not going to stop being a liberal because of them. You know, because that's like actual stuff. But in terms of Star Wars, <laughs> I'm like, man, if people are, you know like strapping their guns on about this stuff, then I, I don't know how to respond to that. No, yeah, it's it's awful. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're right. I mean, we shouldn't be referring to them as fans anymore. They're just something far, far worse and lower than fans when you're doing the stuff some of these trolls are doing. I mean, it just, it, yeah, over the last few weeks, it's been awful and just really makes me mad seeing this stuff. I mean, because it's so unnecessary. And the fact that 
what movies do these people watch and love so much? Because like, obviously these are all so-called, I'm using air quotes right here, <laughs> original trilogy fans. Right. What movies do they watch to make them act like this? Like, do they get the essence of Star Wars and what it's supposed to be about? Totally. It's just, uh, it's it's infuriating when you see some of the responses and some of the hate that's being spilled toward, like I said, Kelly Marie Tran and Kathleen Kennedy. It's just so, so s- stupid. But what's getting me more mad too that's how some of these, you know, people are like once uh, the creators kind of shoot back at them and respond like Ryan Johnson did last week and John Boyega did today, which was awesome. And then they try to throw it in their faces like, oh, you should act better than this. Or, you know, how how could you treat like fans like respond in that way? It's like, no, you start this off being rude and harassing people. You're going to be treated that way. <laughs> I mean, I got no problems with how I mean, they weren't even being the way that these people are like ryan johnson and john boyega responding on twitter oh god bless ryan johnson he's been fighting this battle for the last six months jesus christ and it gets me so mad with some of the responses he gets where people are trying to either make him look like the bad guy and they look like the victims like hey you're putting us down you're he just started blocking people yeah six months later he's not been blocking and now he's blocking i was like how did you hold off so long good sir and how do these people don't they see what is written? I mean, they're not calling out anyone who doesn't like... I mean, I block people, and I don't have fans on Twitter. I'm all Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I got almost no fans on Twitter. I'm blocking people, too. I can't believe Ryan Johnson's finally blocking. He's so sweet. And to hear him drop the F-bomb in defense of Kelly was just great. I was like, you know? Because yeah. let's be honest, dude. Let's be honest. For all the criticisms of Disney, they do not hold back their directors, writers, and actors from making political commentary constantly online. Yeah, there's some... And there's some who think they should, which is like, no, you're going to act that way. You know, you're going to be yep. responded to accordingly. Like, they're not going to take that. Yep. And the thing that's frustrating is the people who, you know, don't see the difference between not liking a movie and harassing and saying hateful things to the actors in them. Like, they don't get that. These people who think, oh, like, we can't even, like, you, we're just saying how we don't like our movie and you're responding this way to us it's like you should be better than that it's like no you're not getting the point <laughs> they're not saying that to anyone who yep. critiques it or disagrees or doesn't like the movie it's the hateful harassment that's being thrown upon these creators and actors it's just ridiculous so yeah i think it's great how like you said ryan johnson and john boyega today are responding to it i mean they're not going to have it and neither should they so but at the same time i don't see this problem going away anytime soon i mean they're just these people who hate anything that's in this Disney era of star Wars and nothing's going to change their mind. And they're going to have these theories, these conspiracies that are you know, unfounded and not true. And they're just going to cling, cling to them and make, create these false narratives of how, you know, star Wars is, you know, a dying franchise now in Disney's hands and all it's that. So and how not, Kathleen Kennedy should be removed because solo was a failure, but they forgot the amazing <laughs> success right out the gate with the force awakens and continue with rogue one and the last Jedi. <laughs> financially so it's like no your points are so off base it's just ridiculous and infuriating i mean i try to avoid that stuff because i don't want to be talking star wars saying things about star wars that gets me upset star wars is supposed to bring everyone like joy and take them away from the problems we get enough of in the real world and i feel like podcasters are on the same page which is so weird i mean there's not a all lot, of them but not, i know not all of them but in the six or so female, either female totally or female male combo, and another six male. By the way, yours is, and this guys, this is this is an actual Bizzle endorsement here. 
The Saga Continues is literally the only Star Wars podcast I even consider listening to every episode. I mean, <laughs> thank you. I'm just, I'm just being honest. You guys don't put them out that much. And, you know, you, you guys tell an amazing narrative. And I think a lot of Star Wars podcasts, yes, try to be clickbaity like all, everything else does. But for the most part, I, I, I haven't run across. Let, let me ask you this. I mean, I don't know how many nerds are in your life in terms of who you run across in regular life, but like, I haven't run across a lot of Star Wars haters in the real world, which makes mm-hmm. the yeah. digital Star Wars hater thing even more confusing to me. No, you're right. Yeah, as far as, yeah, I'm in the same boat, but... I mean, I get old black dudes. Dude, I was wearing my Jin Erso, like, face blended into the Death Star shirt, and this old black dude, like, you know, like, 70 years old, sitting on my block. I mean, it's a very diverse neighborhood, um, and this guy who I'd seen before called me over and started talking about 90, he, 19, Star Wars in 1977 or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, it crosses, it crosses all barriers, but there's all these idiots and I don't understand who they are and where they're coming from. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to, I mean, my own brother even as far as someone who wasn't a big fan of The Last Jedi, but, you know, that's it. <laughs> he just doesn't like it. In oh, certain really? Things. Your bro? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I try to talk him into certain things of why I liked it, but you know, I think he, it's not like he'll never watch it again. There's just things in it that's going to bug him. But at the same time, he's not going to go on Twitter <laughs> and just say, continue uh-huh. to say how much he hates it and make sure he tells Ryan Johnson and all that. All right. You know what? I was going to save it to the end. Let's do it now, man. Let us do the, the list. We're doing the list now. All right, bring it on. <laughs> so these are our personal favorite movies. These aren't like, here's our artistic judgment type thing. I, mm. Okay? If you're cool okay. with that, that criteria. Um, do you feel like you know your list confidently enough to go backwards? Nope, because nope. I have a hard time ranking my okay. <laughs> Star Wars movies in general, man. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So addendum, addendum. You can have two or even three movies at a certain ring together. I will say I got my top three pretty much set. Mm-hmm. But after that, that's where it gets you know all flip floppy and I move things around here and there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you can put things on the same level, but I feel like between the prequels and the two stor- solo, uh, uh, Star Wars stories. Um. But uh, all right, well let well let's just we'll jump to the top three. The, you, are your three actually three? Yeah, mm. um, I'll do mine first. Third Go favorite Star Wars movie of all time: The Empire Strikes Back. Nice. You want me to just go and give? We're just going to say give it. Like, just do it. Once, Third but, favorite. Okay. Yeah. Third favorite: A New Hope. Word. I mean, it's the one that started it all, and mm-hmm. there's still I still get good feelings watching that movie, even though there's some you know slow moments in there with. R2 and 3PO walking through Tatooine, which can drag on a little bit, but mm-hmm. being introduced to these iconic characters for the first time, I mean, it's still, I still get that awesome feeling because I don't even remember the first time I saw Star Wars. It's just always been there. I think I said that on when I was on your episode uh, not too long ago, but I just know A New Hope was the first one and there's that special something about it is still there. So it has my favorite space battle still of all, which is the Death Star attack run. So that's my number third pick i think the best shot ever is when the he drops the camera first person into the trench and starts mm, moving yeah. forward you're not in a ship or looking at ships the camera just drops in the trench and starts mm. moving it's spectacular yep yep yeah i, I did a paul-esque squeal when that came up yeah. <laughs> when i was doing the commentary with my guy simmy i was just like Wah! 
Yeah, it warrants it. It's so good. All right. So, okay. So you'll go first for number two then. Number two is going to be Revenge of the Sith. Ooh, I, mean, woo. I love that movie. Just the, the story it tells, the action we get in it, the emotional drama that comes with certain scenes in there, the what Lucas did as far as what drove Anakin to become Darth Vader. I mean, I bought into and it was just really, really great to see it all unfold. And I got to be honest, though, when I saw it for the first time, it was a weird experience. Like it was just. Maybe because at that time it was the last Star Wars movie I thought we were going to get. and It's unsettling as well. Yeah. That's a good word to put it. There's just something off about it mm-hmm. that just didn't feel like it came out of any Star Wars movie. But Yeah. It's like a grunge song. <laughs> like, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> but no, I've come to love that movie just even after seeing it for the second time back in 05. But just the more I see it, the more I fell in love with it. And of course, it being you know 13 years old now, it ranks as number two for a lot of reasons. And just what it brings to the saga in general it's with characters like Vader and Obi-Wan. It's just so, so cool. So yeah, episode three, Revenge of the Sith is my number two. My, my problem with Revenge of the Sith in terms of my rankings is I, I knew it was the, I, it's always been my favorite prequel movie is from the moment I saw it and it gets better for me over time. And I just like better and better over time. I never thought it would compete with the new movies at all. I'm still not sure it does in my own personal list, but let's just say it's it's more active in competition with newer movies than I would have thought is Revenge of the Sith. Okay, well, that's as cool. a Star Wars movie because it's so fucking Star Wars, and because mm-hmm. look for all of the Hayden Christensen problems, he does have great moments in that movie, and Obi Wan is constantly amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's it, it is up there for me um but uh my my number two is of course return of the jedi which i still think is just the most um uh expertly crafted from a hollywood standpoint um film of the three i mean the flow of the acts starting with the action scene but it's much more consistent than hoth and then the drama in the middle, they mix with a lot of adventure stuff, and so it feels really fresh. And then all of a sudden, you're in the three-part battle. And even if I didn't love Ewoks, I still think Return of the Jedi would be my favorite. The fact that I like Ewoks and find them sympathetic, and <laughs> it's not even about cute with them. Like I just find them a believable alien species they would meet on this bizarre moon, that uh-huh. all they need is Leia to sort of convince them with her amazing... Uh, charm and charisma to join the cause and they'll just like sure yeah we'll lose a whole bunch of ourselves helping you guys because we're <laughs> I, I totally buy that and I think the forces of destiny dude as I gotta tell you you know people with, with you know chewy eating the porgs but now we have you know Ewoks almost eating stormtroopers and we have <laughs> chewy eating people <laughs> literally we have chewy eating people in the in, in Han apparently um <laughs> See, I don't. That's a good, interesting point. I have to go on a whole other side tangent yeah, on go. there. But did it actually eat anyone on there? I know the Imperials, you know, made it seem like they fed people down to the beast, but we didn't see any bones. We saw like a, like a droid body out there. But well, I wouldn't blame them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're going to eat, you're going to eat. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he liked it. Uh, I know, that's an interesting thing to think about now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I, I got a hamburger today, man. Uh, I've been trying to resi- become more vegetarian. Had to have a hamburger today. Sometimes you just got to do it, you know? Yeah, man. I would love it if I could be a vegetarian, but... It's tough. <laughs> it is tough. Yeah, yep. to say the least. All right, so here's my theory about why Solo, A Star Wars Story, performed so poorly. You ready? Let's hear it. Okay, you know what Occam's Razor is? Mm, I've heard of it. I'm not too familiar with it, though. All right, Occam's Razor... It just is the principle that if you eliminate um, uh, sort of tertiary uh, reasons and all other things being equal, for the most part, the simplest explanation tends to be the correct explanation. Mm -hmm. And I think the simplest explanation is the reason so many people are positive about the movie are because everyone who wasn't super still positive about Star Wars post The Last Jedi didn't see the movie, and so they're not weighing in on it. But this is at such a giant level, man, because the the appeal of Rogue One is Rogue One is split between fans who just kind of like it and who love it, but a Mm -hmm. lot of the population, including my parents' generation and the younger generation who aren't giant Star Wars fans, love Rogue One. Like I teach students all the time, and if they're kids who are into this stuff, I ask them about Star Wars, they're always saying Rogue One, Rogue One, Rogue One. Um, so that appealed to wider general people, but that wasn't with Han Solo and Chewie and Lando. So Jin Erso, K2, and Cassian apparently are much more appealing than characters that we supposedly know and love. And by the way, The Force Awakens would not have made $2 million without Harrison Ford. So I can understand this. Do you, do you have any idea what, why this is going on? No, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of people haven't seen it, and maybe we would get a more mixed reaction i don't think so but maybe it's a possibility of more who did see it and gave the reaction because of course not everyone's gonna love it but i i think that's the biggest problem is not everyone saw it and again just going back to what i said earlier is that there's a bunch of different reasons why they get attributed to that so yeah it's it's a shame because you're right when people do see it it's just i think they enjoy it for the most part and i you can probably look at different reasons to the success of or the success that some of the other movies had i mean with the force awakens i mean come on it's a new star wars movie in 10 years that we never thought we were going to get and we're getting the original trilogy cast members back of course it's going to break all these records and make over two billion dollars so yeah i mean and it was rogue one too it was the first standalone movie that we were getting and i think a lot of people were going to wanted to see What's that's going to be like? Is it going to work? And for for the most part, everyone agreed that it did work really, really well. And you throw in Vader in there and the buzz that created with his moment with that movie and getting a lot of people probably excited to see it again as well. So, yeah, different things you can look at as far as the success and failures when you look at the first three and then now with Solo. But that, if anything, it's just like I said, it's a shame. It just kind of makes it depressing because we like it so much. And it is such a great Star Wars movie. And to see it, you know, failing the way it is box office wise, it just makes it a bummer because we've never had this experience with a Star Wars movie before. A Star Wars film not performing well at the box office. Like, what is this? The idea of being worried that we might not get potential sequels and that were set up in this movie because it's not doing well financially. That's unheard of for a Star Wars movie yep. at this point. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, we've got a lot of new things of Star Wars in this era, you know, the sequel trilogy, standalone movies we never thought we would get. And, you know, this is just another new thing for Star Wars. We're going to have to learn to kind of accept and deal with the first Star Wars financial box office failure. So 
Uh, hopefully, you know, they're going to be few and far between. But here's the problem, man. Here's the here's the other part of the Occam's Raider problem. A Star Wars fans smartly prefer to watch Star Wars in 2D and not 3D. We should not be watching Star Wars in 3D, but 3D tickets make way more money. So you're cutting your money in half right there. People are seeing Star Wars in, th- in 2D instead of 3D, which I totally respect and, and support. Yeah. Uh, I don't see 3D movies at all, unless they're unless it's a Phantom Menace re-release. That's yeah, the only one. <laughs> but, but the Marvel movies and the Fast and Furious movies and the James Bond movies and so forth make at least two-thirds of their monies o- o- money overseas, whereas Star Wars movies, even The Force Awakens, made 55% of it, as did Rogue One, made 55% domestically. Um, the U.S. in particular, uh, English-speaking countries in general, but especially the U.S., are the main market for Star Wars. So you're going from being 150 uh, domestic and 300 abroad to 150 domestic and $134 million or whatever it is abroad, which is pathetic even in China. Yeah, well, Star Wars has no presence in China now. Well, there's, there's, there's just general apathy about this movie, which is just... I expected people to protest this movie. Um, and I've been saying, Matt, for a year on this podcast that they were going to lose money on this film, but I didn't expect them to lose this much money. And I, I, I mean, I hate to come to the conclusion that of a 100% Star Wars fan base, 66% are idiots. And that it specifically skipped this movie. So then you say, okay, why did the average film goer skip this movie? They should have just called it Han Solo, man. Honestly, come on. They should have called it Han Solo, no Star Wars story. Even in Rogue One, <laughs> they barely used the Star Wars story like in the main title or anything, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What did they do wrong? If you could sit in the CEO's chair, what would you say? Uh, I just think they should have they should have held it back I and mean, have it for that December release. Mm-hmm. I really think that's a big factor as far as coming too yep. soon off the heels of The Last Jedi and just, you know, having a little more time for these Star Wars movies to breathe because Marvel took a little bit before they got to, you know, two or three movies every year, mm-hmm. whatnot. But I mean, well, maybe it, Probably not. Well, probably the third year. Oh, I, I, hold on. I, I actually I want to end because I don't, I don't have uh, you too long tonight. I want to end on some non-Star Wars stuff for a couple okay. of minutes. So to wrap this up, we got to give our number one. So I'll go first. All right, go for it. You know what it is. Oh, obviously. Yeah. I mean, should I just say it for you? Say it. Say it. <laughs> Rogue One. Rogue One. <laughs> Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie. It brings together everything I love in the originals. It brings together things I love in Clone Wars and Rebels. It bring, there's just enough Force mythology. The, the characters, the fighting. I love the standalone story format. But I will say, if it's this verse, you know, the entire original trilogy, or even Empire and Jedi together, it makes it tough. I mean, Jedi will always have a special place in my heart. I watched it over and over again growing up. Empire is brilliant and hilarious and touching. But... Well, here's the here's the thing, Tim. The reason for Rogue One's number one is when I look at all the movies as just films, like movie movie films. Uh, uh, to, Rogue One is clearly the best directed overall from like an epic standpoint, and so I don't know if that's affecting me. But I watch it all the time. It's always on in the background. I, I always watch it. I watch the other movies too. And it's just my favorite. And, you know, I mean, I love the Jedi stuff so much, so I can't really explain it. 
It's just my it's just my movie. I saw it opening night. And that's the other thing, man, is like I, I'm never gonna get to see the original movies opening night. I got to see Rogue mm-hmm. One opening night and then the next night and then the next night. And I I, I can't replace that. So completely non objective, <laughs> totally yeah, opinionated uh number one is Rogue One from the Bizzle. And I now to you, Tim, for your number one. Yeah, I got no problems with that as far as being un- unbiased or whatnot. I mean, <laughs> but your favorite, it's your favorite, man, yeah. for no matter what the reasons are. So that's awesome. Yeah. But for me, I mean, I'm just going to, if you could call it the cliche pick, but I just can't deny that it is my favorite. The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, yes. it's the one that I feel truly is a perfect movie for me. A lot of people say there's no such thing as a perfect movie. And probably Empire, when you look at stuff, it's not perfect technical-wise. But for me, how it flows, the story the performances, the action, the humor is great. It just all comes together for a great total package. But probably the big reason why it's still my favorite is this is where Star Wars took the next jump from being just a really cool, you know, fantasy story set in space in A New Hope to making it a family drama that just elevated the thematic-wise and story-wise characterizations. When Darth Vader reveals himself to be Luke's father, I mean... That just takes it to another level storytelling wise. And that's yep. why I think the empire strikes back is always going to be my favorite. I mean, I've se- I don't even know how many times I've seen that movie, but every time Darth Vader says, you know, I am your father. I still get chills. Yeah. <laughs> There's just something about that moment mm-hmm. that always, you know, resonates with me just because of what it means for the star Wars saga as a whole. And it just kind of tied in what we're talking about with solo, how it enhances stuff we've seen from Han and Chewie in the original trilogy that one moment just gets enhanced the further along with each new movie we get almost. And even beyond that with clone wars stuff we see with Anakin and then how he interacts with Ahsoka and what we see of Anakin in the prequels and seeing Darth Vader in rogue one, how he acts there. But then seeing that moment of Darth Vader becoming a little vulnerable and exposing himself to his son, there, reaching out to him. It just so, so great i mean i just love it so much so yeah it's you know the favorite popular pick everyone does but i'm not going to be the person that goes you know just because everyone else says it's their favorite i'm not going to say it no it's my favorite so i gotta say (laughs) no that's great because this is the perfect way to lead into finale which is like i said as soon as i saw solo i just just want to call it han solo that's what the movie should be called (laughs) I don't think you'd be the only one if you did, though. <laughs> yeah. And then saw the Han Solo movie, I immediately went to watch Empire. I watched half of it, and then I'm like, I'll just do a commentary on it, because I did one three years ago before The Force Awakens and never released it, um, <laughs> because doing Star Wars commentaries alone are very is very difficult to say anything interesting. Um, uh, but I did it, and uh, I had a blast doing it, but I think that Rogue One, Last Jedi, and Empire, there's a, there's a thread through those three movies. I know Rogue One's not technically a middle movie, but it kind of feels like a middle movie between the prequels and the sequels. Mm. And has that really dark tension with the military stuff. You know what I mean? Like characters getting split up and having to come back together. And also very artistic. Like I think Rogue One, Last Jedi, and Empire are the most artistic Art, you know, artsy, if you will, um, of the Star Wars movies, to me, uh, personally. Yeah, I'd probably have to think about it, but I think you're probably right. <laughs> I think definitely Last Jedi, you can definitely make the argument for that. Yeah, 
So, um, all right. Well, I noticed none of the new movies in your top three, Tim. So, no, yeah. So far, none yeah. of them have cracked it yet. But not to say I don't like them, of course. Uh-huh. But I'd, I'd probably put Force Awakens at number four. Well, I was going to say, which one has the trajectory where it, it has the best chance of cracking the, t- the top three at some point? Yeah, because Force, Force Awakens is still my favorite of the new movies so mm-hmm. far. I just think it was just a great job as far as establishing great new characters in this new timeline and then interacting with the classic characters we've seen, but yet creating new, you know, drama with these new characters, Kylo Ren and Ray, I mean, establishing their relationship here and what we later see in the last Jedi, I think was played off and got off to a great start in the force awakens. And yeah, I had that same nitpick that a lot of the people have as far as there are probably are a little too many similar beats from a new hope, but I could kind of look past that for just great characters and, you know, setting up new things in the saga for this new era. So that's why it's still my favorite. And yeah, you know, I could probably rank if I were to rank the four we got so far, I go force awakens and you're probably going to hate me for this, Jesse, but (laughs) I'm going to go solo as my number two. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. I get it. I totally get it. It's it's fine. It's totally. Fine. But Rogue Rogue One comes in at number three. That I go Last Jedi. It doesn't. No, but that's the thing. Here, what's well, here's what's really interesting, man. Is I look for these lists, and when they're media outlets that pull everyone, Rogue One ends up right under the original trilogy because one third oh, yeah. of people either really don't like it, and two thirds of people either like it or really like it, and so it ends up really high um, mm-hmm. over lists and and i've talked about that rogue one tracks better with casual fans than super fans and that's one of the reasons i love it i love that it's the only movie man of all the star wars movies that you could put into a different environment with different um you know uh like non-star wars you know uh you know setup or whatever and would still work well so and yet it feels so star wars at the same time but yeah I, yeah, I agree with you, dude. I mean, The Force Awakens as just feeling like a Star Wars adventure movie can't be topped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was surprised actually on my podcast. I, I think you listened to the podcast with Paul. I was surprised how many problems he had with Force Awakens. Yeah, I'm well aware. <laughs> like, I try to convince him otherwise, but it's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I was not. I was not well aware. Yeah. Yeah, I guess this means I'm listening to you guys in the background sometimes and miss some segments because I, <laughs> that took me by surprise. Um, it did not take me by surprise about Last Jedi. Um, and I think I knew that he thought Rogue One was the best. Although, yeah. I, you mm-hmm. know, now he's also flirting with Solo, which is totally fine. I, I love these anthology movies, man. And I, I think, uh, to start wrapping towards the end, I think you can agree with me that... Disney needs to not learn the wrong lesson about this financial failure. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think they are well aware as far as taking a step back, looking at what happened, what went wrong and all that, and try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. I mean, I'm sure they're not just thinking, Oh, you know, it's this one swing and a miss right here. We'll continue to go on as we did. But no, I think they're definitely going to make sure that, yep. you know, they realize what went wrong and make sure it doesn't get repeated. And I have yep. full confidence that, you know, at least not, you know, every definitely not with episode nine, then think moving forward, whatever the next standalone movie is going to be, whether it, uh, we know it's probably going to be Kenobi or Boba Fett, but whichever one comes out first, I mean, I'm sure they're going to make sure mm. it's not going to have the same 
trouble production as solo did and then have it come out so soon if they make the boba fett movie i might get off the star wars bandwagon honestly if that's uh, well, we'll, really a we'll priority, miss you off the wagon jesse because i'm gonna be on her full force with that boba fett movie <laughs> <laughs> but wh- where's the personality i mean where where is the charisma of this character he's well first off i've been a fan of him since i was you know a kid but i know and it's this is pure nostalgia okay here's no, my problem it's not, Tim. it's not, it's no, not it because is. it's nostalgia. clone wars and episode two elevated him even more for me with the backstory but that's still fanboy stuff the way they said oh you killed aura Singh." i was like i thought that was great that he killed aura Singh, but i was like this is just for fanboys well, what's wrong with that though sometimes it's when it's a little- and there's nothing wrong with that as my friend alistair who contributes to the podcast a lot who runs the nova stream network in australia he didn't like solo but he's admittedly not a big star wars fan he loved the last jedi he's not a star wars fan and he was like yeah let fans have fan movies i totally agree and honestly i still think they would take the loss because let's say they kept lord and miller it would have been less money lost um, you know, uh, uh, less production costs. And let's say they made more money. Let's say they made a one or 200 more million, but it, it completely twisted the characters in, in something we didn't recognize as Star mm-hmm. Wars anymore. And so they said, nope, we're going to get Ron Howard, who's going to make this feel like a fucking Star Wars movie and hopefully be fun and funny. And we're going to take a loss on this for the future. And I think Star Wars celebration and the excitement for episode nine, Tim, to uh head towards final thoughts here that's the future and so i think disney is taking the right approach on this i just hope if kathleen kennedy leaves it's because she hasn't taken a day off in 40 years and she wants to spend time with her family that is fine (laughs) that yeah that you could definitely understand (laughs) but to pressure kathleen kennedy out on this when disney's the one making the big decisions is insane and i can't believe that they would take that kind of press hit i like they didn't even want to fire the Pixar dude who was, you know, being skeevy on some chicks and he finally left. They tried to deal with that quietly. There's no way they're just going to dump Kathleen Kennedy. No, just how they cannot possibly think after all the success of Force Awakens Rogue One and The Last Jedi financially yeah. that she has done a bad job as yeah. head of Lucasfilm. Like there's no way. They forced this release. They forced this release. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea like talking about fans complaining about Kathleen Kennedy and the solo failures, we should actually be, you know, applauding her for, you know, having the guts to get rid of Lord and Miller almost near the end of principal photography to get it back, to make it feel like a star Wars movie. And we talked about this on our podcast at the time too, when we last talked a few months ago, we said the same thing. We said, appreciate Kathleen Kennedy. And she made the right decision firing Lord and Miller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we got the solo who was the good guy, but still lovably roguish, but they were going to make him be like a womanizing goofball making jokes left and right. I don't think that would have worked for anyone, Tim. Yeah. I kept hearing that they wanted to make him more like star Lord from guardians. It was like, that's no, that's not Han Solo. So, <laughs> right, we have Star Lord. We don't need another Star Lord. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Star Lord's great. Um, you know who he felt like to me. I, this whole movie felt like Firefly slash Serenity. I mean, the music, the Western vibe. Solo himself felt like uh, Captain Malcolm Reynolds to himself is blatantly stolen by Whedon from Han Solo uh, with Nathan Fillion. This felt like the Fillion portrayal of Han Solo a little bit, which I loved personally. And by the way, Tim aliens we've been calling for aliens we got aliens yep 
I mean, how cool was it? It was a nice mixture of new, but then awesome. we saw classics. We saw Twi'leks. We saw Rodians. I mean, mixed in with some new designs. And even, uh, I'm blanking on the species <laughs> name, but Two Tubes. We saw one of them. Two Tubes was there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Know. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really cool. What did you feel about the, um, just final thought on Solo. What did you feel about the, the, emph- the Emphis Nest thing? Uh, to me, it made sense, but maybe it came out of nowhere to some people. I don't know. I think it made total sense yeah, and it, it, it wasn't a surprise for me too but it's like yeah they would be like their own rebel cell mm-hmm. i just like the idea that lucas established all the way back in that clone wars arc on underground with saw guerrero and steel of how there are these pockets of rebel cells operating on their own i mean they don't know about other ones trying to fight against the empire and it's not until they all come together in that episode we saw in rebels to form the alliance but the fact that emphasis Ness and the cloud riders are their own rebel cell that they're going on it was just awesome and it made me excited to hopefully get more new stories with her and the the cloud riders and what they're doing to fight against the empire and see where that leads them to if they make it you know past a new hope and all the way up until endor you know in some way fighting against them and it kind of made me wish man uh, rebels was i wish rebels was still going on right now because i'm sure we would have gotten episodes where they meet up with with emphasis so that's one aspect where I can't wait to see more stories. Okay. Of. So I, I have so many more questions to you, but I'm looking at the clock here. I don't have you for much more time. So I have to cut to Darth Maul. Spoiler alert, Darth Maul. And, you know, I've been preaching that they should be making the Siege of Mandalore movie for like a year now. And now it seems <laughs> like we're heading in that direction. I love that it was Ray Park, but Sam Witwer in real life is cut. Like, if you guys have seen Battlestar Galactica or even recently, like on him on Twitch, like, dude is cut. So Sam Witwer should play, I mean, you know, the play dramatically Darth Maul with doing the voice is amazing. I don't know what you do about Anakin. The obvious fan want for Ahsoka still makes sense, which is Rosario Dawson. It's the perfect fit. They look like each other. She's a Disney person. She worked for Marvel. She's an amazing actress. She can look. She can do all sorts of stuff. I mean, she even says she would want to do it too. She wants to do it. <laughs> yeah. If you can make Zoe Saldana look like Gamora, you can make fucking Rosario Dawson look like Ahsoka, and then you have Obi Wan, obviously. So. Let's finish on this, man. So the big, you know, the, the big twist, which it, it, it wasn't quite like Vader at the end of Rogue One, but it gave me that same sort of thrill at the end of the mm. movie. Um, so what do you take away from that? Do you have any predictions about it? And then we'll just do final thoughts. Yeah, well, right off the bat, it was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see whether it's in a Han Solo sequel or just another movie. Mm. We're going to see the continuing story of Maul and Kira now, but after the box office though <laughs> like oh man now i'm not sure what that's gonna happen but i do know somehow some way we're gonna get that story told whether it's in a comic novel or maybe some in animation down the line but it's just got me excited that maul's back because after what happened to him in star wars rebels where he got killed i was like okay i was fine with that that's it for maul's story he went out in a very fitting way and you know and even in that it was animation since as dave filoni said you know, it felt it was his responsibility to end his story since he was mm-hmm. the one who brought him back. Mm-hmm. So I never thought it'd be a possibility to see him again, let alone live action. But so I was in shock when I saw him. But at the same time, it's like, yes, this is perfect. The way that it was set up in Clone Wars of him being involved in the criminal underworld and him to still have a part in that at this point in his life. <laughs> I totally forgot. As soon as I saw the new movie, I went back and watched the beginning of the Maul episode. So I'm like, wow, I forgot that he was already dealing with criminals back then. Is brilliant. 
Yep. Yeah. So this makes total sense, and it does. I just want to. I just can't wait to find out more. Like, what's Maul planning here? And did you notice how non-intimidated she was by him? By the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was deferential, but she was already planning her next move. Oh, that would make Kara such a great character. Okay, so this will be the final, final question on a lighter note about the, f- the future. So we've had Gwendolyn Christie be great we've had amelia clark be unbelievably great we got the game of thrones you know co-creators in terms of the tv show coming in to do multiple movies um i think you're a game of Thrones fan uh fan so um as a final question man and we'll say our goodbyes what like do you like this infusion of game of thrones blood into star wars and do you have any predictions or theories about where it's going oh yeah i mean Let's get more Game of Thrones actors in here. <laughs> I'd love to see a much more. It's Star Wars movies. Oh, it's co- Kit Harrington has been begging. Kit Harrington has been like openly petitioning Disney to get him in a role. He wants to be in so bad. Uh, I'll bring him on. <laughs> yeah, bring I mean, him on. Yeah. I know. So I, I mean, it's hard not to think that Benioff and Weiss and theirs film series that they're not going to use anybody that they work with from game of thrones to have a role in this movie so i think we're going to get more to come which like i said i'll be all for and yeah in regards to the future i mean even though we don't know exactly what's after episode nine there's still a lot to be excited about if you ask me i mean we've got the rumblings of the next standalone movies with kenobi and boba fett like we mentioned Mm -hmm. and then but we haven't even there's still ryan johnson's trilogy benioff and weiss like i just mentioned and I th- really think those are going to branch off more into the eras that we haven't gotten yet, where they're mm-hmm. way in the past or maybe even more in the future. I don't know. But I think that's where we're going to finally make that big jumping off point from the main saga timelines. And I, I'll all for that as well. That's the beauty of getting all these new movies now. They can just play around in these different time frames, which is going to make it exciting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like I said before, it's going to be a long wait till episode nine. But at the same time, hopefully to make that time go by of course with celebration chicago when we start learning more about these upcoming projects it's just going to make us more excited for the future of star wars when it's when it's, when it's about to come so yeah it's still gonna it's gonna be a little low right now but it's not gonna be too long we'll be getting some more good star wars news i think i think it's gonna be healthy for all of us i think it's gonna be good mm-hmm. a good cleanse you can rewatch your old favorite movies you know rewatch the clone wars rewatch rebels i think it's I think it's kind of good. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of good for everything. Well, it was great to have you, man. Unfortunately, we didn't talk about the thing I actually wanted to talk about, which was <laughs> the John Favreau project, mm. which is the thing I am most excited about by far. Other than Ahsoka appearing in live action somewhere, everything related to the John Favreau project, I am just, I, I want, it's my favorite part of, Battle, of uh, Battlefront 2 was Luke on the planet you know turning the imperial guy like i want to see what that world looks like um so yeah oh so, uh, yeah but i'm agreeing with you too I'm, that's just another thing to be excited about uh, i mean knowing that it's going to set take place just a few years after return mm-hmm. of the jedi is going to be cool and i don't really think they're going to go too much well yeah because they really can't because the timeline but uh we're not going to get much resistance stuff or no resistance stuff because it's too early and we're getting the animated series. So I just can't wait to see what they're going to focus on in that era. And when you got John Favreau involved, I mean, it's not to be excited about. <laughs> they're clearly surrounding themselves with talent. Again, this is Kathleen Kennedy. So I just, dude, honestly, like I'll drop like not interested on some of these YouTube videos when I see the headlines. I'm like, 
it's not even that i'm offended it's like you're just wasting my time with me having to look up this bullshit and dude i have to say man um you and paul there was like a day a few weeks ago when you and paul got nailed with like anti last jedi stuff or something um i can't remember but i remember it happened to you guys and then the kelly marie tran thing happened like a week later or whatever i'm just like it's been a crazy last few weeks like non-stop of these you know people coming out and spewing all this hatred and stuff Mm. and just Get, mm. yeah it gets annoying like i don't want to see this yeah <laughs> I mean, i've been using that block button a lot too recently because yeah. i mean i don't really interact with most of them because like i said it's a waste of time and energy but at the same time i hate seeing it as well like, mm-hmm. why do i want to spend time like seeing all this negativity for something that i love i'm not going to waste time like being engrossed in that and or, you know if someone engages with me and i gotta like call them out or whatnot i'll do it but at the same time it's just a waste of time and energy to you know, really give them the time of day for something that you love and don't agree with. But again, like we're all for conversations and debates about, you know, mm-hmm. if you like or dislike certain things, which we've had plenty of, which is awesome. But when it's just these unreasonable, hate-filled people who you're not even going to, uh, they're not even going to be attempted to change their minds. It's just a waste of time and energy. So mm-hmm. yeah, try to ignore it as most as I can because <laughs> I don't want yep anything to take away the joy that i have with star wars absolutely and the problem you know and and, and you know my final thought will be they don't have a monopoly on nostalgia and we can be responsible loving caring adults and act like five-year-olds sometimes when it comes to Mm -hmm. star wars these people are acting like five-year-olds all the time Uh. (laughs) all the fucking time so guys if you're out there if you've come this far i probably don't even have to say this i appreciate everyone joining appreciate tim joining um just really quickly though if you're not enjoying the star wars franchise right now just fuck off and go get another franchise like it's cool we will not judge you stop hate stop trying to get us to hate things that you are unhappy with Mm -hmm. right now i think you can agree with that Totally. Yeah. If you don't like something, say your piece and then move on. Don't keep, don't be beating a dead horse over and over again. It's like, it's not good for anybody. All right, buddy. So I really appreciate you. I don't want to keep you too long. So I want to give you, um, I have your, your, uh, TSC and your Twitter handle in the copy. Um, so you would just tell cool. the listeners quick, uh, oh, not you know, take as much time as you want about the saga continues and then any, any other projects they should check out. Yeah. So, as Jesse mentioned, you can find my Star Wars podcast, Star Wars The Saga Continues, at StarWarsTSC.com and on Twitter at StarWarsTSC. So we're going to be recording a new episode very soon. So <laughs> probably once this episode of the Bizzlecast goes up, the new Saga Continues one should be out not too long after that, where we're going to be recapping some of the announcements we got at E3 regarding Star Wars games and catching up on some of the new stories that happened during Solo, but our episode of Solo went on way too long that we didn't cover them, so (laughs) we'll be talking about that soon. And yeah, then after uh, if any fans of uh, Batman and DC Comics, I have my Batman podcast, the Bat Fans Podcast, which you can find over at Mm. thebatmanuniverse.net. So um, that's where you can check me out. And then just for my personal presence on social media you can follow me on twitter at tim g311 really quickly tim i have to I, just very really quick and i will for let you go 
311, great band in the 90s. You are obsessed with these guys to the point they know who you are, I think. (laughs) Well, Um, one of them does, I would think, because he follows me on Twitter, (laughs) which is awesome. (laughs) So why 311, man? I'm a music guy. I used to work in music. I love good rock music and world music. Like, why 311? Uh, They just struck a chord with me the first song I heard, which was Down. I mean, I was never Uh, a big fan of rap or hip-hop. But the way they incorporated with the yep. rock heavy guitars and then the rock chorus, it just like really blew me away. So I'm like, oh, I never heard something like that before. With mm-hmm. the two singers too is another thing. They're just all great musicians. Both singers, Nick Hexum and S.A. Martinez, have great voices that make for beautiful harmonies when they do that. Just a lot of integration of different musical styles that make them so unique, which I love. And the greatest live band I've seen, they just have such an energy at their concerts. It's just like, nothing else i've seen another band so Word. that's why they're my favorite and they that's probably awesome. always will be <laughs> that's awesome yeah i remember that song i remember the album i had that album i think what you just described for me was loser by beck um, mm, okay but is the same sort of feeling in terms mm-hmm. of memorizing entire verses you know yeah. what i mean uh. Uh, so that's awesome dude so all right man well i'm glad to have the positivity you know, it's great. I mean, th- the thing is, is like, I think there's enough of us to keep this thing going, but people need to show up and see these movies a little bit more is the only problem. No, yeah. And hopefully that, uh, I'm not going to say hopefully, I'm confident that will be the case with episode nine. I think it's going to be, you know, back to normal <laughs> when it comes to Star Wars films when we get closer to that, please. Word up. Well, you know, I mean, I might still end up in Chicago in April. I won't be, it, yeah. it, be able to go inside, but maybe I could party with people, you know? There you there, go, yeah. You know, so it could happen. So maybe we'll cross paths eventually. So, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I hope your Dodgers oh, do. are doing well. I, I, I don't know but what this, I mean, you you're Yankees. Dodgers? I'm sorry, like, Yankees. No, because no, <laughs> you live in LA. You live in LA. You live in yeah. LA. Your Yankees are doing well. I'm sure they are. Oh, yes. Best record in baseball. So I can't complain on the sports front. And either. <laughs> God damn you guys. God damn it. How do you do it? What's the secret? <laughs> uh, a lot of money and good drafting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't even need a farm system. It's crazy. Um, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. No problem. Thanks for having me again. It was fun as always. Yeah, dude. All right. Thanks, BizzleCast listeners. And uh, we'll be coming back at you soon. And for now, the BizzleCast is out.